0: God with us. Man, we've sung about it today. We've seen the Holy Spirit move. We've seen signs and evidence that that is so real. But as we approach the approach the Christmas season, we can realize that God is with us in so many ways. And we encounter him in so many ways that he watches over us and he cares for us. And this ought to be the season of our lives that that becomes even more magnified and more real to us than any other time because God is with us. As we started this series a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how that God with, is with us in his promises, that long before Jesus walked this earth, that God promised that that day would come, and God keeps his promises, and because he keeps those promises, and he's kept the promises of the prophecies that we've read, that we can know without a doubt he will continue to keep his promises, and the things that he said he would do, he will do. Whether the promises we like or the promises we don't like, there will be a day adjustment, but there also is a salvation that we can grab hold of, and that is so exciting to know that one of these days the trumpet will sound, and one of these days we will stand in his presence. And last week we talked about God being with us in the valley. You know, we enjoy God on the mountaintop, but we get to know him the most intimately when we're in the valley. It's during those seasons that he really is with us. And so today, for those of you that are followers of Christ, one of the most important things we can learn, one of the things we can look at as we look at the idea of Scripture in this Christmas season, my mind always goes back to Matthew 1.23 where it says, The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. I mean, there is something about those last three words that ought to resonate in our spirit, that ought to give us a little joy, give us a little pep in our step, that ought to wake us up a little bit. Because God is with us, that the very God of the universe would clothe Himself in flesh, that would come and walk this earth, and would be here for us. And it's so exciting to know that that is the truth, that that is a reality. And so today, as we talk about those things, and we look at those things, as we're on this pilgrimage that we call life, as we're heading towards the final fulfillment of the promises, we do go through seasons. And one of the things I want to talk to you about today is God with us in the wilderness. Now, the wilderness is different from the valley. So I don't want you to think that I'm recycling kind of the the same type of message. The wilderness, the valley, is something you go through as you're headed to the mountaintop. But the nice, not the nice thing, but the, the thing about the wilderness is the wilderness is something we can get trapped in. The wilderness is something we can get struggled in. The wilderness is a place that we can wander in for years or decades. And if you don't believe me, ask the children of Israel. Because of disobedience, they wandered 40 years in the wilderness. You can get lost in the wilderness. In the the midst of being in the wilderness, it can seem like better days will never come again. You can Wonder and watch and, and, and wonder if, 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 can I, am I stuck here? Is this for, is there any way this is going to change? Is this my existence from this moment on? And some of you that are here this morning, you may be in that place. you think that you're stuck in some type of wilderness? You feel stuck in a place and you see that there's, it doesn't seem like there's any way out. You feel lost. You feel disoriented. You feel like the compass in your life is just spinning in circles and you have no sense of direction or any way. You can't figure out how to get out of this wilderness that you're in. You feel like nobody understands. What's interesting to me is, though, is when you look at wilderness stories in the Bible, you see many times the wilderness story immediately follows a great mountain experience. Jesus himself had what you might, Why it wasn't on necessarily a mountaintop, Jesus himself had a mount, a mountaintop kind of experience on that day that he came upon the scene, he walked up and he walked down into the pool and John the Baptist baptized him in water. I mean, I just, I pictured that in my mind. What would it be like if Jesus came to you and says, I need you to baptize me? I understand John's response. Lord, I'm not worthy. I'm not even worthy to untie your sandals, let alone do this. But he did it. And can you imagine, though, from Jesus' standpoint, what a great moment that must have been for him because he was baptized, and immediately it says, as he came up out of the water, the Holy Spirit came and descended upon him in the form of a dove. His very own Heavenly Father says, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. I don't care who you are. The the confidence, the approval, the appreciation of a father to a child is one of the most incredible things you can experience. People's lives are messed up because they don't get that kind of validation from a father. And yet in this moment, there's Jesus who knew that he came to this earth to be a sacrifice for our sins. And so can you imagine the mountaintop feeling? That must have been him because we know, yes, he was fully God, but he's also fully man. Can you, can you imagine that moment when the Holy Spirit comes and lands on him in the form of a dove and his very own Heavenly Father, loud enough for those around to hear, to say, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. What a moment that must have been. What's the very next thing we see? He was sent into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days. See, many times we have those mountaintop moments that is followed by a season of wilderness wandering. We see those things. Some of you may have been just like that. Maybe you were in a place in your life where things were going right. It seems like finally the sun was shining. Kind of like this morning, finally the clouds parted and there is still a sun. And you have those moments and, and things are seem to be going well. And you're like, man, finally things are going my way. Finally things are like I want them to be. The birds are singing again. It's all good. Then suddenly that marriage that you thought was great you find out that your spouse didn't see it that way. Or life was going wonderfully and all of a sudden you find out your job is at jeopardy. Or you have this incredible thing that happens. There's just so many things that can come our way and we can feel like we're on top and then all of a sudden it seems like out of nowhere something hits us and the rug is pulled out from under us and we find ourselves in a place that we're like, Wow. What do I do? You feel alone. You feel spiritually dry. You feel desperate. You feel like you're in the wilderness. What I want to do today is show you one big thought that I want you to hold on to today as we walk through this. If you're going to write something down, I think this is the thought to write down. Your deepest need becomes a gift when it drives you to depend on God. Your deepest need becomes a gift, the things that you're head most, the things that, that, that are facing you, that are pulling you down that feel like driving you to the wilderness, they can become a gift if it pushes you to depend on God. Because you know what? We're always better off depending upon God. This morning, I want us to revisit a story in the Bible that if there's a mountaintop story in the Bible, this is the mountaintop story. This morning, I want us to look at Elijah the prophet. I mean, think of it. If you're going to think about a man of God, if you're going to think about somebody that's involved in miracles, if you're going to think about somebody that had an incredible experience on a mountaintop, that somebody that God has used in colossal ways, if you're going to think of a man of God who literally went on the mountaintop with zero doubt that God was with him, you think about Elijah. I mean, there's not many people that are going to be so outnumbered, 850 to 1, and says, you know what, let's have a showdown up on the mountain. I mean, what an incredible moment. But the interesting thing is almost immediately after his incredible victory, we find him go from the mountaintop to the wilderness. This man of God that God used to do incredible things, suddenly coming off this victory, is in fear of his life, and he's run to the wilderness. I mean, he, he was, God was with him for a season. He was, he was staring down evil King Ahab. He was outsmarting him at every turn. God was moving miracles in his life. Incredible things happened. And apparently, though, Ahab wasn't near as scary as his wife Jezebel. Because right on the heels of this incredible victory, Jezebel makes a statement and he freaks out and runs away finds himself in the wilderness let's look at it first kings 19 1 or 2 now ahab told jezebel everything elijah had done and how that he had killed all the prophets with the sword so jezebel called sent a messenger to elijah to say may the gods deal with me be it ever so severely if by this time tomorrow i don't make your life like that of one of them Let's back up just a little bit. I mean, King Ahab had been coming at him for years. King Ahab was one of the kings that when he stepped in, and you read about him in 1 Kings there, just in in a previous chapter there, you read and the Bible says this, says he was more evil than all the kings before him. That is not something you want written in Scripture about you. he was doing all kinds of things and he married a wife that he shouldn't have married and and it brought in and it brought in all this idol worship and, and and the nation turned from worshiping God to worshiping Baal and all this stuff was going on. It was a horrible situation and Elijah was the one man that had the guts to stand up and to call it what it was and so that put him at odds with the king. All the king tried to stop him several times. Finally on one occasion Elijah works it out through with God's help and he has this one-on-one conversation with the king and he tells him I'm about to pray and it's not going to rain anymore until I say it rains again. Sure enough God backed him up. I mean the rain stopped for 3 years it did not rain. God was with him. Oh, Ahab was, not, was very upset. Ahab tried to track him down. On two different occasions, we read that, that Ahab sent 51 soldiers to get him to arrest him. And both times, Elijah called down fire, and they burned up, and end of the story. During the drought, God took care of Elijah. God sent him out and said, here, you, you go out in the wilderness. i got this place picked for you. There's a stream where you're going to be there. I'm going to give you water during this drought. And you know what? I'm going to feed you by special delivery. I'm going to send ravens with food for you every day. I mean, it's not often you get food air So God takes care of him. I mean think about this. He prays and the and the heavens stop the rain and, and God's with him and God's feeding him. God's providing for him. When that stream finds up, he goes and he finds this lady that's just about to give up and, and her, her supplies are about to run out and God miraculously expands her meal and expands her oil so that there's food for all of them for the remainder of the drought even in the midst of the drought even in the midst of God doing all that her son gets sick and dies Elijah prays and he's raised back to life I mean again and again and again God is with this man God is moving on his behalf he is on the he's riding his spiritual high on the mountaintop so much so that finally says you know what this is enough of this we're gonna have a showdown King Ahab, you get all your prophets together. You go ahead and get all the 450 prophets of Baal. You go ahead and get all the 400 prophets of the Ashurapoles and you have them meet me up on top of the mountain. We're going to have a showdown. We're going to settle once and for all who God is. So they gather together. And if you've heard this story, it's an incredible story. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible so much so that when we were in children's church years ago I got this great idea I decided I was gonna demonstrate this story for the kids in a way unlike anything they'd ever seen it I set a table up I had a friend that owned a magician's type shop that had all these things and so I went and Talked to him and, and I found out that not only do they have flash paper they've got flash cotton and so I bought flash paper and flash cotton I took the flash cotton and colored it like they were little stones I took the flash paper rolled some of them up like little logs and colored them I drew out and cut out my own bowl out of flash paper I had bought this little device. It was so cool. Was this little battery-powered device that you could put flash paper in, and it had a battery, a little glow plug, and so it had a little, looked like a ring, and you could just throw fire off the end of your fingertips. I had the little jars sitting there, and I thought, you know what? Instead of water, I'm going to use lighter fluid. So I am telling the story. And I'm putting all the pieces together. As I'm telling, I'm laying, I mean, I'm building the altar. I'm laying down the logs. I'm laying the bull on there. And I'm pouring the liquid as he had the servants come in. And I said, and Abraham, I mean, and Elijah prayed this prayer. And I set off that flash paper from heaven from my hand. And there was a fireball about this big. <laughs> I was instantly blinded for a moment but the kids never forgot the story (laughs) but Elijah he has a showdown moment up on top of the mountain and I love what he did is he, is, is he lets them go first. He says, the gods who lights the sacrifice is God. And they agree. And so the prophets of Baal begin to do their thing. And they're praying. And they're doing their chanting. And they're doing their dancing. They're doing all the stuff that they would do. And nothing happens. It even says that it went on for so long that finally they begin to cut themselves and beat themselves to make something happen. And I love, I love the attitude of Elijah. Elijah begins to get a little bit of temptation going. Gets a little bit of a sp- smart Alec attitude begins to call maybe your God is busy yell louder maybe he's gone away one translation says maybe he went to relieve himself and finally they give up and I love what Elijah does he steps up he says, This isn't good enough. Wet the sacrifice down. And they pour water, I mean, to let it drench, and the trench around it is filled in, and all this stuff. And he prays just a simple prayer God, show them that you are God and that I am your servant. And all of a sudden, fire comes down and it consumes the sacrifice, consumes. The water consumes everything that was placed there in a mighty way. The people begin to say the Lord God is God and it all turns and all of a sudden all those prophets, the 850 combined forces against him, 850 to 1, except he had God on his side, and all of a sudden the whole circumstance changes. Talk about a man that is on top of the mountain, and the Holy Spirit is using him. If anybody ever had a moment, he had a moment. He follows that moment up. He says, now I'm going to pray and God's going to send the rain he has enough faith to go and to pray and he, when he see, once he sees the cloud the size of, a, of his hand he says that's good enough the rain is coming and he tells Ahab to go ahead and Ahab goes ahead and in the power of the Holy Spirit he gets himself together and the scripture tells us he outruns the chariot back to Jezreel under the power of the Holy Spirit I mean he is having a day God is with him he's on the mountaintop And then Jezebel says, by this time tomorrow, you'll be like one of those. Something happens. Something breaks. All of a sudden, this man that was this on fire man of God, fear settles in and he takes off and runs. See, sometimes we're the most vulnerable when we're coming off the mountaintop. Why? Because we've won the victory. We expect the credits to roll. We expect our happily ever after to begin. We expect the camera to pan around behind us as we're walking off into the sunset with the sweet music playing. But all of a sudden, the enemy comes back with his counterattack. We're caught off guard We don't expect it. And we find ourselves wondering what to do. We go from the mountaintop to the wilderness like that. Let's look at verse 3 and 4. It says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Wow. He went from the mountaintop to there in a very short time. How did it happen? See, Jezebel didn't put him into the wilderness he ran there. See, sometimes when we get in situations and circumstances, sometimes we can even have a great victory, but something happens, and instead of us running towards God, we run towards the wilderness. Let me ask you this tell you this it's never a good idea to run from the presence of God towards the wilderness. Never. Never. I mean, just read the text, you may it understand that he traveled a 100 miles to get away. That's running. There was no Uber ride available. He did his best Forrest Gump impersonation. He turned and he ran and he never stopped. He ran away. He's alone. He's scared. He's hurting. He's desperate. He comes to this broom tree, and he collapses on the tree, and he says, just let me die. You know what? The truth is, he said words probably that many of us have said or felt at some point in our lives. Lord, I've had enough. I just can't take it anymore. I'm done. I've put up a battle. I've tried to fight the good fight. Seems like every time I get a victory, something else happens. And we just reached a place to say, you know what, I, I quit. I'm done. I'm tired. He had gone from the mountaintop to the end of his rope. And I'm sure that there's some of you that can relate to what he felt. You feel like you're spent, you're done, you've had enough. At some point, you had that mountaintop experience. I've done this thing long enough that. Kim mentioned when she was talking about how the enemy uses the same tricks over and over. I have seen the same things happen in life after life after life after life, and the enemy does this over and over. We can have a mountaintop experience, and all of a sudden the enemy comes along, hits with a counterattack. That just catches people by surprise. Somebody can ask Christ in their life, and have a great moment and the enemy is going to counterattack and try to steal that. I've seen again and again people follow through even to the point of water baptism and, and they have that moment and it's this this on top of the world moment when they come up out of the water. And also the enemy counterattacks. And it's in those moments that we have two choices. We can use those moments to run back towards God, or we can use those moments to run to the wilderness. And the wilderness is never a good idea. You know, for honest, many times we find ourselves in the wilderness, like Elijah, because we ran there ourselves. But how did he get there? I think he was spiritually depleted. We take him out and expect the counterattack. Suddenly he's done. Suddenly he's had enough. Suddenly he's tired. Or if you want to say it in Texan, he's tarred. (laughs) He's had enough. Wouldn't it be great if like on our devices we had a spiritual low battery warning several of my devices start letting me know little battery up the top starts flashing and saying hey plug me in feed me many times in our spiritual lives we you know what really is, is sad sometimes sometimes when we're on the mountaintop we enjoy it but we let our intimacy time with God lapse. Things are going so well we think we got it won and we let our guard down and we don't pursue God and we don't realize that's when we need to plug in and recharge. That's when we need that refreshing. And he got himself there because he was I believe he was spiritually depleted. He had fought the battle and fought the battle and fought the battle, and just that one more counterattack was like I'm done. So you may read, many times we, when we face those, when we say, "I'm just tired, I just need to rest," but many times it's not a physical rest that we need. we're spiritually depleted. and we need to plug back in, we need replenishment, we need to be refreshed in the spirit, and we need the presence of God. I believe that's what, kind of what David had in mind when the 23rd Psalm, when he said, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. Let me say this You will never find rest for your weariness by running towards the wilderness, it'll never happen. See, he forgot that his deepest need can become a gift when it drives you to depend on God. It'd be easy to say, what's the matter with him? Why didn't he just say to Jezebel, the same God that just did what he just did is going to do that to you? But he didn't. So what does God do when in a situation like this with a star prophet. I mean, this was the rock star of prophets. And he purposely runs into the wilderness. What does he do? You know what I love the most? I love what God doesn't do. I love that God doesn't come to him and preach a sermon saying about how this is all his fault. I love how God doesn't ask him, boy, where's your faith? I love how God doesn't mock him and say, some man of God, you are. You just stare down 850 false prophets and you run from one woman. What God does tell him to do is to rest. 1 Kings 19, 5 and 6 says that he lay down under the tree and fell asleep, but at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals, a jar of water, and he ate and drank and he lay down again. See, sometimes... In those moments that we want to run, don't run towards the wilderness. Run towards underneath his wings. Run underneath his wings. Don't run to the wilderness. matter of fact, Psalms 91.4, one of my favorite passages. I love praying through Psalms 91. But verse, four says, verse 4 says, under his wings you will find refuge. Let's look at verse 7 8. Then the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and he ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. You know, one of the things I love about this is that the angel comes back a second time. Now I know this doesn't happen to any of you. But sometimes I don't get things from God the first time. Sometimes it takes a second time. Or in Elijah's case, it took a second time. For me, sometimes it takes a third time. But the angel comes back. And the angel refreshes him. And there are those of you here today that I believe as God is wanting to bring you back again, he's wanting to come back for you today. You've tasted his goodness, but a counterattack of the enemy has kind of sent you running out of the will of God to a place of isolation into the wilderness. Maybe even with the intent, you're just like, you know, I'm done, I'm quit. I'm just going to stay here. I'm going to find my little wilderness hole and I'm going to stay here till this thing is over. You're tired, you want to call it quits, but God desires to refresh you. God res- desires to restore you. God isn't finished with you yet. He wants to give you real purpose. Matter of fact, God's, I believe God's got a question for us at times like this. It's the very same question he asked Elijah. What are you doing here? I love this question. I mean, God loves on him. God refreshes him. God sends him to a place where he's going to have this encounter with God. But I love this question: What are you doing here? I mean, this is a man that has experienced an incredible move of God. That God. I mean, not that you want to see people lose their lives or something, but you gotta, you gotta admit there'd be something pretty cool about saying, "Lord." Show that you are a God and I'm your servant and I mean literally seeing fire fall from heaven and consuming. There is something about that that would be cool. I don't care who you are. But now he's running and all of a sudden God says, what are you doing here? Elijah takes in what the Lord has prepared for him. He's strengthened by the food and he travels for 40 days and 40 nights until he reaches Horeb. There he went in the cave and he spent the night and now he's finally, truly ready to hear what God has to say. Verse 9. There he went into the cave, spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? In other words, why do you run away from me? What are you doing here? Why, why do you? What do you think you're doing? You know better than this. You've removed yourself from me. You removed yourself from God's hands. You removed yourself from the support that he's given you. you removed, he even removed himself, while Scripture doesn't say this, he removed himself even from the support of fellow like believers. He's out there isolated. And God, no wonder God says, what are you doing? I've seen this a hundred times a minute. Like I said, there's, there's, I see patterns. Because of the number of people that I deal with through the years, and I see people all the time that in those moments that something happens, the enemy comes, they either run towards God or they run away from God. The best thing you can ever do when things get bad is run to God, not away from him. Run towards his people, not away from them. don't isolate yourself. I just picture, though, when God asks him that question, I picture Elijah as he gets ready to start to explain to God what he's doing there. I see him trying to muster up the most whiny voice he can muster up. I see him trying to get his eyes real big so that he can have just that right pouty look on his face as he begins to tell God why he's there. You may laugh like you're above that, but come on. I'll admit I'm not. I get a little bit of what Elijah's feeling. I just see him saying, God, probably, but God, I fought the good fight. But God, they've lost respect for your altars. Your messengers are facing persecution and ridicule and i feel like i'm the only one left trying to do this thing for the right reasons and and they've become so comfortable they don't even want to pursue true revival anymore lord looks like the enemy's won now i'm a target for the enemy i'm done when you're hurting in the wilderness Sometimes you can't see beyond your own need. You think nobody understands, that nobody else has fought the battles you've fought, that you're all alone, that you're desperate, and you ask the question, where are you, God? And God asks the question, what are you doing here? God meets him in his deepest need. God ministers to him in that moment of vulnerability. Verse 11 through 13 says, The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in a fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper." When Elijah heard it, he pulled the cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then the voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? I'm sure when that whole thing started, he's like, this is, man, this is what I need. This is what I'm talking about. I've asked God. I've complained and stuff. And, man, God's about to put on a show. And all of a sudden, the earth shakes and quakes and the wind's blowing and the fire's blowing through. I mean, this is, you know, this is just one of those moments. But I love what it says. But God wasn't in any of those things. Then when the Lord came and talked to him, it says it talked to him in a gentle whisper. Or as the King James says, in a still, small voice. See, there's a moral to this story. When you're desperate for God, don't seek an earth, wind, and fire concert. Listen for the voice. That may be a funny statement. I was kind of proud of that one myself. But but you'll remember the point. Sometimes we look for the show. Matter of fact, sometimes we're guilty of looking for the miracle in place of listening for the answer. We want the show. We should be seeking his voice. Why is it that when this, that life is difficult, God's voice is so quiet? You ever wondered about that passage? The idea that, I mean, God does all this stuff and he ends up speaking. I mean, can you imagine the, the contrast? All the noise and all the wind and all the fire and all the stuff. And I mean, can you just picture what he was picturing his mind? Man, when it gets past all this and God shows up, woo then God shows up and speaks in a gentle whisper. Why is it God does things that way? I've got my theory. I believe God whispers because those are the moments that he's the closest and he shouldn't have to yell. He's right there with you and he's whispering in your ear. I told you I'm with you. Let that sink in for a moment. Why is it sometimes it seems like the enemy is so loud? Thought about that too. I believe he's so loud because he's the one that likes to put on the show. But he's trying to get at you from a distance because he can't really get to you. So he's making all the noise to tempt to tempt you to run away from the one whose presence you're in. And God's just right there. Don't listen to him. I'm right here. He whispers, he doesn't have to shout. One shouts out lies, the other's whispers to draw us even closer. One of them says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I've been with you every single moment. And I love you more than you can imagine. When you hurt, I hurt. When you're in the valley, I'm in the valley. When you're in the wilderness, I'm in the wilderness. And you may not believe that, but what is the shortest verse in the Bible? God wept. Or Jesus wept, I'm sorry. Think about that. Have you ever thought of the the context of that verse? He's walking with Mary and Martha on his way to resurrect Lazarus from the tomb. He wasn't crying for Lazarus. He knew whose hands Lazarus was in, and he knew what he was about to do with Lazarus. He was walking with Mary and Martha in that moment, and he was crying because they were crying. He's with us. If we're honest, isn't that right where we want him to be in the wilderness? Right there close to us, whispering in our ear, letting us know that our deepest need can become our greatest gift if we will learn to depend on him during those times. Psalms 34, 18 and 19 says this. is so will begin to move to close. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. A righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. I love the next thing that God whispers to Elijah. Go back the way you came. You're not as lost as you think. I've got a new king I want you to anoint. I've got a new prophet I want you to anoint. You're not alone. There are 7,000 people that have never bowed a knee to Baal or kissed his face. We don't have time to go on the whole story today, but... He's obedient. Ahab and Jezebel eventually get theirs. They lose their lives. They lose the kingdom. Real revival hits the nation. This morning, I believe that God is saying to some of you that you feel you're in the wilderness. He's just simply saying, what are you doing here? Just go back the way you came. Go back to what you know is right. I got you. I want us to do something different this morning. I want everybody to stand. I'm going to go ahead and ask our prayer team to come forward. We're kind of, our movement doesn't very often read scripture together. But as I was working on this, I couldn't, I just the 23rd Psalm just kept coming back to me. And a lot of us are very familiar with it. And many of us, if I was to say, ready, set, go, you could just quote it. How many of us sometimes scriptures like that that we can quote, yeah, that we're very familiar with, can just become so routine, we just kind of spit it out. And we don't really think about what it's saying. I want us to do the 23rd Psalm together, but I want us to let it impact us what it's saying. I want you to put some passion and some feeling into it and let, it, let yourself realize that this is God speaking to you. Can we say that together? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will feel no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me.